I want to speak to you this morning on Jesus and marriage. Jesus and marriage. Uh, so oftentimes as I prepare the word that God gives me for you, I sense conviction in my heart. And I get to just say, all right, Lord, I'm not where I want to be in that situation. I'm not where I ought to be in that truth. And I'd ask God's forgiveness. But I'll, I'll be very frank with you. And, and this is not in any way meant to be humorous. But I'm going to tell you something. When I got to a certain point in this message, I tell you what, I, I, I just got so under conviction that I just got on my knees put my face in the chair and said, God, you know, I'm not there. That's hard, Lord. I'm not there. But I want to thank God that he showed me and convicted me and I asked him for forgiveness and he forgave me. But I'm, I've come to this conclusion. I, I'm going to tell you, probably the most difficult thing in your life as a believer, if you're married, probably the most difficult thing in your life is to be the wife you ought to be. It's not easy. The Bible standard is so high. And I'll tell you another thing. If you're a believer and you're married, the hardest thing, the greatest challenge you have is to be the husband you ought to be, to live up to the standard that God has set. It, it's, I'm telling you, as you read it, you say, well, Lord, that, that's such a high and holy standard he says, yeah, but you, I know you can't do it in your own power. I know you can't. That's why I gave you Jesus. That's why he came to live in you. That's why you have to depend on him every day of your life. Or you'll never love your wife like you should. Or you'll never respect and encourage your husband like you should. So I, let, let's just take, you know, I got to thinking about the first wedding. Do you know it was held in a beautiful place? It was a garden. It was in a garden created by God. And it was a perfect garden. You talk about a setting for marriage. And so it all came from the heart of God. And so what God did was, first of all, he said, now, if we're going to have a wedding, I got to create a, a groom. <laughs> and so he did. And a bride in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. This is how the first marriage ever got started. Then God said, let us make man in our image. After, according to our likeness, let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the cattle of all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them. So, if it was going to be a marriage, there had to be a groom and there had to be a bride. Well, God performed the first marriage. Now, what I want you to see in this, God is vital, vitally and integrally Involved in marriage. I mean, you can't have a marriage without God in the center of it. Because he's the one that created it. 
So to try to build a marriage and a relationship without God, without Jesus, is futile. It's futile. You can't do it. Because it was God that put it together the first time. So he created the bride and groom. And uh, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, it says, uh, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Okay? And then he said, Okay, I've got the garden, the place of the wedding. I've got the groom. And we go down in verse 16, and it says this, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Now this is very important. Of every tree of the garden you may eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and, you sh- good and evil you shall not eat, for the day you do it you shall die. Now I won't tell you what God told Adam before he ever formed Eve. He said, Let me tell you something. You've got to understand why I don't want you to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, because your knowledge of good and evil is going to come from me. My spirit is living in you, Adam. And that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll never need to eat of because my spirit that lives in you will tell you what's good. And my spirit which lives in you will tell you what's evil. So stay away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You would only need that if I did not live inside of you. And so he was saying to Adam before he ever created Eve from the rib, he said, you've got to understand in your marriage, you've got to depend on me. And you come to me about how to love your wife. And you come to me about how to treat her. And, and see, he, it, was, it wasn't just an act, uh, incident that he put right in the middle of this before Eve was formed. He said, well, you've got to understand, I'm going to be in you and you look to me in every decision that you make in life. And then he went on, of course, and then having said that, uh, we, we, uh, in Genesis 2, 21 through 23, let's look at this. It's kind of called, uh, here comes the bride, here's what it is. And the Lord caused a deep sleep. Now, this is an unusual beginning of a wedding. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And and as he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in in his place. The rib, and then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. Now, I have no idea why God chose to create Eve that way. I've heard all the reasons and answers, you know, because she's coming up alongside of him, so he took it out, out of his side. But anyway, it, it was, it was just, I know one thing. Adam gave up something to have a wife. And you see, this whole thing about marriage uh, goes back to verse 18 where it says, And God said, It is not good for a man to be alone. So he created man and female, male and female. Uh, He created a garden, perfect garden that he put them in. He told Adam, in your marriage, you look to me in everything. You don't have to look to a tree of knowledge of good and evil. Then he said, Adam, I've thought about it. It's not good for you to be alone. It's just not good. So what I'm going to do is make a helpmate, a helper to come alongside of you. 
So he put him to sleep, took one of his ribs, and created Eve. Okay, verse 23. Here's the first wedding vow, the first one. And when Adam saw Eve, he said, This is now bone of my bones, hmm. and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. He said, Listen, this, this, this is part of me. This is part of me. This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. And Adam confessed that. And um, I want you to know that this was never a partnership. This wet marriage was never a partnership. It was a merger. Because Adam realized she's part of me. And I'm part of her. So it ain't a partnership. Two lives are merged together. He says, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. She was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Now listen to this. And they shall become one. Let me spell it. O-N-E, one flesh. You see, you don't understand. Marriage is not a partnership. It is a merger. The two become one. The, and, the, and it says, and they became one flesh. That means body, soul, and spirit. They were joined together inseparably and were never to be separated. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. They shall be one flesh. And by the way, when, when God finished it, uh, bride and groom were a glorious couple, a glorious couple. And they were absolutely innocent, absolutely perfect. And that's why it said, and they were both naked, the man and his wife. And listen to this, we're not ashamed. They didn't even know what shame was. So there we have the first marriage. Now, what I want you to see, and I'm going to move on from this, is God, it all started with God. God was in the middle of it. God planned the wedding. God put it together. God told them the vows, and I'm telling you, it was all God. So that's why marriage without God is a tragedy. It can never be what God wants it to be unless God is at the center of that marriage. Well, time passed. God went on and called Abraham. And he told Abraham he'd have descendants as the sand of the sea and the stars of the sky. And so of a great nation called Israel, or the children of Israel, God made a, a, a family, a nation. And God took them out of bondage, out of Egypt, took them into the promised land. A land they didn't work for, a land they didn't fight for, a land that already had homes and, and, and fruit, uh, 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 fruit trees and gardens. He, he took him into the promised land, a land of milk and honey. And this is what he told him. He said, now listen, I've not only given you life. I've not only called you to be my children. He said, but if you will obey me, 
if you put my laws up on your head and on the doorpost of your door, and if you will live according to my word, I will bless you, and I'll bless you, and I'll bless you. And Israel would obey God a while, and he would bless them, and they'd disobey God, and he'd have to uh, correct them. But 1,200 years passed. 1,200 years passed now. And you remember when God started back there in the garden with the first wedding. 1,200 years passed, and Israel was in bad shape. And so God raised up a prophet by the name of Malachi. And, um, and Malachi had a strong word for them. In Malachi chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, I want you to listen at this. In Malachi 2, 13 and 14, it says, and this is the second thing you do. He was telling them what they'd done wrong, how they'd drifted away from him in the first part of the chapter. And he says, and this is the second thing that you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with your tears, with weeping and crying, so he does not regard the offering anymore, nor will he receive with goodwill from your hands. He said, you, you know how you live, but then you come to the temple and you cover the altar with your tears, but you go back and do the same old thing you've always been doing. He said, I, I'm just going to tell you, Malachi said, he's not accepting those tears and he's giving no regard to what you're praying about. None. Well, they ask why. Listen, look at what he said. And, um, and so it says here in verse 14, you say, well, for what reason? Why, why won't he? Why isn't he impressed with our tears? And why won't he answer and regard our prayer? For what reason? And he said, because you and the wife of your youth, he says, because the Lord is a witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have done treacherously. She is your companion and your wife by covenant. He said, you know your problem? You haven't honored your marriage covenant. He says it right here. Let me tell you why God's upset with you. He says, because the Lord bear has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously, she, yet, she, yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. And they, and they were just, their marriages were on the rocks. I mean, they were in deep trouble. And God wouldn't even listen to their prayers. They could weep all they wanted to. He said, you've dealt treacherously with the wife of your youth. You have not kept the covenant. He called her, you have dealt treacherously with the wife of your covenant. And that's why judgment is on you. Well, so Israel was in trouble. Now, let's fast forward a little more. We, we went to the wedding in the garden. Then we saw Israel and how they got away from God's covenant plan for marriage. And the husband dealt treacherously with his wife, the wife of his covenant. Well, let's just go on down now. And let's get over in, in Matthew. And let's see what Jesus had to say about it. And this is really strong. And if you just get it, you'll say, oh, I've often wondered what God's standard for marriage is. 
what God wants for marriage. I mean, today, what, what is his heart? And so we, we, we look in the book of Matthew, the 19th chapter, and we're going to read verses um, 3 through 9. Now, so they, um, they came to Jesus and wanted to test him. All right, look at the third verse. It's on the screen. Then the Pharisees also came to him, tempting him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Now, since God had joined, said, uh, had joined man and woman together in the garden, over the years, once Abraham and the people of God were, were separated, they began to make all kind of laws and all kind of rules that changed God's original plan for marriage. They got away from it. They got away from it. And so the Jews came and tested Jesus and said, now, we want to ask you this. Uh, so uh, he asked, they asked him, he says, the Pharisees came to him saying, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just for any reason? He answered and said to them, have you not read that he made them at the beginning, he made them male and female. Now, I want you to underline the word beginning. He says, now, you're asking me, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? I'm telling you to go back to what it was in Genesis. You go back to where it all started. You go back to the beginning. And he's going he's to really show them why that. He says, and you go back uh, to the beginning and said, for this reason... A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That, that's what was over in Genesis. Two shall become one flesh. So, so then, they're no longer two, but one. No longer two, but one flesh. Jesus said, now you're asking me, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? And I'm telling you to go back there. When God first, the first marriage, go back to the beginning and find out what God's will is. God's will is that the man and woman be joined together as one flesh. So you've got to go back to the beginning. I don't care how you've changed it over the years. You've got to go back to the beginning. He says, so then they're no longer two but one flesh. Now this isn't in Genesis. He adds it. Therefore, who God has joined together... Let not man put asunder. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I thought a man says, I love you, and a woman says, I love you, and they decided they were going to get married, so they go and to the probate judge or they go to the preacher, it doesn't matter, and they say, we want to get married. Now, the question is, does God join them together? A preacher can't join them together. He can be, obey the legal laws of the land. But Jesus said, you don't understand. Y'all asking me about divorce. He said, I'm telling you, go back to the beginning and re realize that God joined them together. And what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. There was a covenant. This was a covenant between Adam and Eve and God. See, there was a covenant. God officiated it. There was a man and a woman and God. There was a man and a woman and God. And that's the way it is. There's a man and a woman and God. And a 
a man and a woman have to be joined together by God. And so Jesus goes on and says, Moses, he said, and he said, uh, that's what God has joined together. Verse 7. Then he said to them, they said to him, okay, we heard what you said. Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? Oh, they said, wait a minute, Jesus, you don't understand. I know how it started. And I know God's original plan, but they got so bad, Moses just said, threw up his hands and said, well, because of the hardness of your heart, if you're not going to go by God's standard and build a marriage on God's basis, just go ahead and write her a certificate of divorce. But, but, but Jesus said, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses said, it was because your hearts were so hard. And you weren't going to follow God anyway. It's almost God said, just, I'm going to wash my hands of it. And so it goes on. And because of the hardness of your heart, it says, but from the beginning, it was not so. Said Moses later, because of the hardness of your heart, said you can get a divorce. But I'm going to tell you. It wasn't that way in the beginning. I don't see divorce in Genesis or Exodus. But then he says something. And you need to listen to this. Jesus gave the exception, he said. He said to them, and and if that whoever divorces his wife for anything except sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Jesus said, in the beginning, no such thing as divorce. People's hearts got hard. Moses said, hey, you're not going to obey God anyway. Just write out a certificate of divorce. But he said that wasn't the way it was from the beginning. He said, but now I'm going to tell you where I'm at right now. This is where Jesus said, this is where I'm at. If a man puts away his wife, a woman puts away her husband for anything except sexual immorality, adultery, if he separates, gets a divorce for any other reason than that, and marries another person, he's living in adultery. And if she does that for any reason except he committed adultery on her, and she gets married for any other reason, I said, she's living in adultery. It's pretty strong. But so Jesus, but he, he went through it, said, he, let's go back to the beginning. Let's have marriage like God intended at the beginning. And the only way God would ever even grant divorce, and he doesn't really want to do it then, if you could forgive each other and be restored. But if a person commits adultery, they've broken the covenant vow between them and God, he said, then that would be the only grounds. Well, now, what I want to talk about is this, and I better get with it pretty quick. Um, I, can, I, I, I came across a passage, and it gave me such a beautiful picture of marriage. And 
I think it's an allegory. An allegory is a story that is bringing forth another truth. And you, you probably never associated this with marriage, but it's awesome. In the book of Ecclesiastes, I want you to show a, a picture of, of, of a wonderful marriage. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9, and the verses following. I, I, I want to just read this, and, and you're familiar with it. But I want you to think in terms of marriage when you read this. Think in terms of marriage. And it's in Ecclesiastes chapter uh, f- uh, 4. Uh, verses 3 through, uh, anyway, uh, 7 through 12. All right, let's look at it. All right, here it is. You remember, um, let, let me say this. Marriage is horizontal, a man and a woman. But it's not just horizontal. Marriage is vertical, a man, a woman, and God. So if it's just horizontal, it's not going to make it. Just a man and a woman. But if it's horizontal, a covenant between a man and a woman, and then vertical, a covenant between a man and a woman and God, everything changes. Now with that in mind, look at what Solomon said in verse 9. Excuse me, chapter 4. Verse 9, you got it? Ecclesiastes. Two are better than one. Okay, Adam and Eve. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. And if they fall, one will lift up his companion. said, you know, two's better than one. They work together for the labor. And when, if one of them falls, <laughs> the other picks them up. said, two's better than one. Okay. All right, if they fall, we have a companion. Because woe to the man who is alone when he falls. And then he goes on and says, because if he falls, there's nobody to pick him up. Then in verse uh, 11, again, I like this. If two lie down together, they will keep warm. How can one be warm when he's alone? <laughs> Have you ever hated to get in a cold bed? You say to your wife, get in the bed first, you get it warmed up, and I'm coming in. <laughs> oh, Lord, that's the truth. I'm telling you, I couldn't stand to get in a cold bed. Well, get a heat, a heat one of them heat blankets. Man, they drive me crazy. But he said, it, he's just using, hey, it's, two's better than one, because if you fall, they're going to be there to pick you up. But if you fall by yourself, you're in trouble. And he said, listen, if... If, uh, again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though, uh, and then he said, third thing, he said, two, it's good to have two because, you know, if you fall down, they'll pick you up. It's good to have two because if you, if you try to get warm, you get warm two better than you can one. How are you going to get warm? But then he said, if you get attacked, he said, for if you... Um, Again, he said, though you may be overpowered by another, two can withstand it. He said, if somebody attacks you, you got a better chance of overcoming the attacker if there's two of you. Somebody's going to have you back. 
And so you're going to go into battle, it's going to be two. And so, I, I mean, I can see this. You know, uh, boy, it's good to be married because uh, if you fall down, man, you got somebody to pick you up. You know, if you, you know, if you're cold, it's good to have somebody to embrace you and make you warm. So I tell you another thing: if you're under attack, it's good to have somebody to fight the battle with you. But then, he says the most important thing. And if you get this, it'll help you in your marriage like nothing else. He says here, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. All of a sudden, you go from two, you go to three. And he says a threefold cord is not easily broken. Oh, so it's a man and a woman who pick each other up. It's a man and a woman who help each other get warm. It's a man and a woman who fight a battle together. It's a two-fold cord. But you know, that's not enough. A three-fold cord. God, oh, a man, a woman, a covenant with God. He said a threefold cord is not easily broken. No marriage is without tension, problems, stress, but disappointment. Sometimes that twofold cord can get frayed and can be weakened. But if it's a threefold cord, that third cord, God, Jesus, holds those two together until they get through the time that they're under pressure. I'm telling you. Let me tell you something I read. A, t- a threefold cord is the strongest cord. A rope maker made this statement because in a threefold cord, each cord touches each other. In other words, if it's threefold, then they touch each other. They, you know, in a threefold cord, the, all the cords touch each other. But if you've got a fourfold cord, fourfold cord, it doesn't touch you. It doesn't touch it. It's not as strong. A fourfold cord is not as strong as a threefold because the threefold is bound together. And if two get frayed, that third cord can just hold on until they get it back together. <laughs> I want to thank God for the threefold cord. I want to thank God. When your marriage is struggling and when you're not the husband you ought to be, you're not the wife you ought to be, you make wrong choices. It's not that you don't love each other, but this old flesh, ain't, it, 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 it's, it's dead in Christ, but it still can rise up at any time. I just want to praise the name of Jesus that in marriage it's not just a two-fold cord. But you are in a covenant relationship with each other. But hallelujah, you're in a covenant relationship with the living God. And it's Jesus that holds your marriage together. You say, oh, no, I can handle it. You are in bad trouble. I'm telling you, you just don't know. 
And so it's a covenant relationship. It's a threefold cord. And the threefold cord is strong because it's a man and a woman who've made a covenant with each other. And then that co- those that man and woman have made a covenant with God. And it's a triangle. It's like this. Here's the man. Here's the woman. And here's God. And you notice the closer they get to God, the closer they get to each other. The closer they get to the top of that triangle and that covenant relationship, the closer they get to God, the closer they get to to each other. You know the problem with marriage in America? The absence of the living God. The absence of the living Christ. The absence of the power of the Holy Spirit to produce love and forgiveness and kindness. All the things God tells us to be to each other. You cannot do it unless you're in a covenant relationship with each other, but you're also God. It's the center, and the closer you get to him, the closer you get to each other, and you find yourself being the husband or wife you never thought you could be, but it's not you, it's Jesus Christ in you. You say, I don't know about that. You better know about it because your, your, your marriage may be in a mess and you don't even know it. You know, I I will say this and wind this up. One cord is the wife. (laughs) One cord is the husband. Okay. What's the strength of the wife's cord? All right, I want you to look. uh, uh, um, You can see this on the screen. I'm going to look it up. In Proverbs chapter 31. Now, this is the strength of the cord of a wife. This is what makes... Her cord strong in, in Proverbs chapter 31. Here's what it is. What is the wife's relationship to the husband? Well, first of all, it says in Proverbs 31, who can find, he says, a worthy wife, an excellent wife is far above rubies. It's costly. You cannot put a price on a excellent or virtuous wife. You can't do it. There's no way you can put a price on it. Too valuable to put a price on it. Well, what, what is her role? Well, I want you to look at what it says in verse 11. And, 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 and it's quite a testimony for the woman. In verse 11 it says, The heart of her husband safely trust her. You know what the role of the woman is? To to be such a wife that her husband trusts her. He trusts her. And look on the rest of that. The reason he trusts her, look at the next verse. It says, the same verse, who can find a virtuous wife or worth is far above rubies? The heart of her husband safely trusts her. Listen to this. She does, she, she do, in verse, 20, verse 12, she does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Hey, here's a wife. And she, evidently she encourages her husband. And evidently she upholds her husband. And he trusts her. And she does him good. And not evil all the days of her life. You, 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 know, you, really, you really want to know what I believe that 
makes a, a woman an excellent wife is the way that she upholds and encourages her husband. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, the way she respects him. You see, men want approval. And so they'll go out if they don't get approval from their wife, if their wife's putting them down or don't give them approval. If she doesn't uphold them and encourage them, they'll go out there and, well, I'll make enough money that you'll approve of me. And I'll be successful enough if you'll approve of me. But that never makes them satisfied. Let me tell you something. What in this world is better for man to know, man, I trust my wife. She does me good and not evil all the days of my life. She is such an encourager to me. And just her presence, it strengthens me, it upholds me, enables me to be the man I ought to be. It's not a big deal. Come on. But it is a big deal. And you know what it goes on and says about what the husband does to a wife like that? In Hebrews, excuse me, Hebrews, dear Lord, it's, it's still in uh, uh, Proverbs. It says he praises her. Look at verses 28 and 29. It says, she watches over the, uh, verse 27, she watches over the ways of her household, does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. You know, when you respect your husband, you encourage him. You approve him, you uphold him, do him good and ev not evil all the days of your life. You know what? He's going to say, you know, I, that's a, I got the greatest wife in the world. And you know, she may be beautiful on the outside, but beauty is in the eye of the beholder anyway. It's what a person is on the inside. And that cord's going to be strong if a woman upholds, encourages, approves, and becomes a strength to her husband. Well, you men say, well, that's good, Brother Fred, but I'm going to go on. I'm going to talk to you, okay? What is the husband's relationship? Now, they, they, you know, you've you got to think about this verse before you get it. But I, I, I promise you, I read it, and then I read it, then I read it, then I read it, then I read it, and I think I know that this is exactly what Paul was saying when he wrote this verse. I'm positive it is. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 7, I want you to listen to what he said. All right. For man indeed, this has always been a hard passage to understand. A man indeed ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. But a woman is the glory of a man. Now, what in this world? <laughs> and boy, this is where I got under conviction. Golly, bum. He said, the woman is the glory of the man. And that in the marriage... He looks at his wife, and he sees that she is secure. She feels secure. That she feels provided for emotionally, 
physically, spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. She feels protected, secure. I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot I don't know about marriage, but this much I do know. The most important thing to a woman is security. The security of a home, the security of a husband that she know loves her and committed to her. The security. Let, let me tell you something. You, you say, well, I can make it. Men say, well, I can make it, man. I could live in a double-wide trailer on, uh, back in the woods, and I'd be happy as I could be. Don't ask your wife to do that. She ain't going to like that. And I'm just, she may like it, but let me tell you something. We don't understand. Well, why, 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 why this? Let me tell you something. Security. When a woman's secure, she's the glory of her husband. He's being a good husband. She feels protected. And when she knows that uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, she's going to be provided for protection and provision. You know, one of the most moving stories I ever heard, boy, this, this convicts any, any man, golly, Bob. This is a true story. Jack Taylor was preaching in Denver, Colorado. Present in the audience was Coach McCartney, who was the head coach of the Colorado Buffaloes. They had won a national championship. And Jack Taylor said, you're successful, and, he, and you've achieved all your goals, and you're at the top. He said, but let me ask you a question. How's your wife doing? How's your wife doing? He said, I'll tell you what you do. You look in her eyes. Her eyes are the window of her soul. And her eyes will tell you how she's doing. Coach McCartney said, he looked into his wife's eyes and he saw sadness. He saw uncertainty. He saw someone who was preoccupied instead of with her, who had his own world and his own career. And he looked in her eyes, and God said, what I've just been talking about, she's not the glory that comes from a woman who has a, a godly husband. You know what he did? He resigned as head coach of the Colorado Buffaloes. Oh, yeah, he quit. And he founded uh, the conference for men that goes all over America. I forgot, what's the name of those men's conferences? What? Yeah, promise keepers. <laughs> Can you imagine? He said, look, I'm successful everywhere. But I'm not successful with my wife. And so God changed his life, and she became the glory of the man. You know, I think we need to ask ourselves, is it all about us and our career? It's all about what we want to do, men, and what we want to achieve. Is it all about us? Or is it somehow about being sure that your wife is secure and her needs she's provided for? I'm not talking about just money. Don't you think that's far more important than any other thing you could do? You know, I, there's that verse over in um, Ephesians 5, 28 and 29. 
He said to the husbands, I want you to, husbands, love your wives. Now, now listen to this. This, this cord's got to be strong, y'all. The cord of the wife's got to be strong. Her husband trusts her. And she does him good and not evil all day. And she pra- he prays her. He feels approval and all that. But you see, it, it says here uh, that the relationship between the husband and wife is said that uh, no man ever hated his own flesh. Husbands, love your wives as you love your own flesh. And he, t- he said, just like Jesus loved the church, and he nourished her and cherished her, and he used those words. And, and, and it's just like a picture of how we care, care and men, we care for our own body. But he said, let me tell you about your wife. You're talking about security, provision, and protection. He said, I want you to nourish her. I mean, that build her up. I mean, do you ever tear your wife down? My God. You're supposed to nourish her, and you're supposed to cherish her. I mean, she's the most valuable thing to you other than Jesus. You say, well, I don't let that. Come on, give me a break now. I'm reading the word of God. He says, a man loves, uh, love your husband as you love your own flesh. He, say, he talked about Jesus. Love the church, nourish the church, and cherish the church. And that's what you're supposed to do. And you're supposed to love, nourish, and cherish your wife. You say, boy, you, it, it, it's, that's impossible to do all that, Brother Fred. I know it. <laughs> but it's a threefold cord. Hallelujah. It's a threefold cord. The wife, being what God's created her to be by the power of Jesus. The husband, being the husband he ought to be by the power of Jesus. And Jesus makes it possible. And that's a, that's a good twofold cord. They're in a covenant with each other. But then there's that threefold cord, that covenant with Jesus. Man, that triangle, Jesus at the top. And the closer you get to the top, the closer you, to Jesus, the closer you get to each other. And I'll tell you that a threefold cord is not easily broken. And I'll tell you, you'll go through times that you say, and I'm just being honest now and I'm not being humorous. Why in the world did I marry him? Why in the world did I marry her? My soul, what in this world? I mean, this ain't what I thought it was going to be. I mean, you, you got what you think it's going to be and it is what it is in reality. And you, and you just get disillusioned sometimes and you want to quit and you want to throw in the towel and you want to do all that stuff. But I want to tell you something. <laughs> you just don't look at each other. You look up. And you see that threefold cord. You see Jesus, and you say, Jesus, with you all things are possible. All things are possible. The power to forgive, the power to love, the power to be unselfish, the power to lay down your life. Covenant always involved a sacrifice. It said in Malachi, you have been treacherous to the wife of your youth, the wife of your covenant. And so we get to the point where we say, I can't make it in my marriage. I can't make it anywhere unless Jesus is Lord of my life, unless he's on the throne of my heart, unless the Spirit of God is giving me the power. Now, I'm telling you, you can, go, you can read all the books on marriage you want to read. You can go all the marriage seminaries you want, seminaries, seminars you want to go to, and I'm for that. All those good books. But I'll tell you one thing, you can't do it in the flesh. Stop trying. 
There's no book that can give you the power to be the wife you ought to be and the husband you ought to be. And there's no book that will give you the power to be the, have the marriage that God wants you to have. You're shipwrecked on God and stranded on his power. Been married 58 years. I was 19. Was I 19? Yeah. I may have been 18. My wife didn't become six, 17 till September. We need to know that more, more about what we were doing than if I'd gone to the moon on a rocket. I had $5 in my pocket. Had to pay the judge probate at $2 and a half. I think I forgot what I paid him. We ran off, and all I could do, I said, honey, we ain't got no money, but we'll split a hamburger. I had no clue. But I want you to know, we got married in June, and in March of uh, the year after we got married in June, I had an encounter with Jesus. And I'll say one thing. We're married 58 years because of Jesus. Jesus. You say, Brother Fred, will you love her? Yeah, I do. She loves me, but we got feet of clay, y'all. We need Jesus. You need Jesus in your marriage. Did you know that? You need a threefold cord. It's not easily broken. And I don't have to tell you the condition of marriage in America. You say, I've been through a divorce. Well, I hope you had biblical grounds. And if it's, you're already divorced, I pray. And if you've remarried, I pray that God will bless you and God will encourage you. Because Jesus said, if somebody abandons you, somebody goes off and commits adultery on you, hey, he said, you're not, you're not going to be bound to somebody who has violated the covenant. And so I'm, I'm just saying to you, if you are married, it's all about a threefold cord. You, your wife, and Jesus. And Jesus will give you the power to keep the covenant and to be the husband and wife that you ought to be. You can't do it without Jesus.